Welcome back to the Explorinate Podcast. This week, I speak to Ray Fowler, the solo developer of Remnants of the Precursors, about his game and about why he chose Master of Ryan 1 over Master of Ryan 2. Stay tuned. Welcome to the show, Ray. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I was surprised to uh, get your uh, notification you wanted to have a podcast, so I'm kind of happy to talk to you. Well, (laughs) people have questions. So let's start with asking uh, maybe the obvious one, which is where have you been? Related to the project, um, I'm kind of in a weird spot. Most of the hard software development is done. And so I'm waiting on external things like artwork and writing, and those are being done by other people. And when they get done, they'll get integrated, right? Which doesn't take a lot of effort. So I'm kind of waiting on um, other folks, mostly. So I guess it would just kind of be redundant at this point to like keep coming back and you know updating everybody with, hey, I'm waiting on stuff. Because I feel like you've done that a few times, right? I have done that a few times. One thing I've learned about this project is, uh, well, there's a couple things I've learned. Is One, that good artwork takes a long time. And especially when you're trying to make a game that's as artwork intensive as I'm doing. Um, also, to you know, when you have like these small projects where you have like maybe a single developer, a single artist, a single writer, things like that, if personal things happen in their life, you know, something that may force, takes them away from their work for a while, that has a direct impact on the schedule. So, you know, sometimes you deal with that. And it sounds like a cliche excuse, but honestly, that stuff happens. And so we've been dealing with some of that too. Yeah, I can imagine. So I know that Petar, Petar is it Petar? Yeah, right. I just call him Peter. It's P-E-T-A-R. I just call him Peter. Okay, we're calling him Peter. So I know Peter is, I, I, I understand that he had some family issues too. So that kind of kept him away from doing some of the art stuff. And that's clearly made things you know take a little bit longer but he's back on it full-time right so you guys are both working side by side and taking care of this right yep well that's not how it works um actually he's still uh dealing with some issues that are affecting him in his family life and i can't really go into detail about that and so he's kind of working at a reduced rate and i'm kind of in a waiting holding pattern right so i'm kind of doing other things i'm not working on the game uh, from a programming perspective, hardly at all right now. I worked really hard, probably the first three years, to where you know I'd go to work, my daily job, and I would come home and work on the game. That was like my after hours life for like two or three years, and I got a lot, a tremendous amount of work done. And I think it shows in the last um, alpha release that was was put out there that it's almost a completely playable game at this point. And so now I'm kind of in this awkward stage where I don't really have much left to do except wait on other people. So I can't just sit on the email and say, you know, ping them constantly. Hey, where's this? Where's this? Where's this? I have to be patient. And fortunately, the last alpha is is pretty playable. And I'm and we're we've done a lot of work since the last alpha, but it's not quite ready to release. I'm waiting on the clock on artwork. So then let's go back to the very beginning. And you decided to make this project. I know that eventually, originally it was Java Moo. And then 
you actually, when Master of Ryan came back out with Wargaming, you approached them, you asked for permission to keep doing what you were doing, and they were like, yeah, that's cool, sounds good. So, but they wanted you to change the name. So you changed it to Remnants of the Precursors. But why Master of Ryan 1? Because I know most people, especially nowadays, they try to mirror Master of Ryan 2, and a lot of people think that's maybe the better of the two. I mean, I disagree, but maybe you could tell me why you'd go for Master of Ryan 1. Well, I think uh, it's pretty obvious for anyone who, who actually plays Master of Ryan 1 and Master of Ryan 2 extensively that the original game is the better game. Um, it's just, it's a lot more well-designed. Master of Ryan 2, a lot of people don't realize that Master of Ryan 1 was only on the market for about two or three years before Master of Ryan 2 came out. And then Master of Ryan 2 you know, was the dominant or was the newest Master of Ryan for years and years and years because nobody liked Moo 3, right? So I think a lot of people, when they say, oh, what's the newest Moo? They would go, oh, they would pick up Moo 2 and just think it's kind of like Civ, where it's just an updated version of the previous game. And a lot of people don't realize the games actually play very differently, right? So they never even try Moo 1. Which is a crying shame, because Master of Ryan 1, I think, and I'd agree, is, is a better design game than Master of Ryan 2 for many reasons, and I'd like you to tell me why. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like how, you know, you, you come up with a good game design, because I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it was made in 1993, and it has to run on like 640K of memory. So the game is really stripped down to basic, gameplay mechanics there's not like a lot of frills and back then forex uh, games were really just kind of like computerized versions of of war games that you played like board games so um the mechanics are much more fleshed out and at some point computers got a lot more memory and a lot more processing power and games became more about visual effects and things like that which are cool don't get me wrong i think they're great but it, that should not be the driving you know, impetus behind the design of a game. That should be something that enhances the game. And I think that Moo 2 is kind of like the first game, but like, oh, what do fans want? You know, What do they want added to the game? And so then they added a whole bunch of stuff. And some of the stuff was really cool, but then a lot of the stuff kind of made the game worse. So I think it's kind of a mixed bag, right? In my opinion. No, I, I don't agree. And something that I've done as I've... I mean, like, I created Explorminate, and then you start to, like, think deeply about the Forex genre and what made good games great and all that stuff and what, what actually appeals to me. And I realized that Master of Ryan 2, for everything that it did right, it also did as many things wrong. And I do think that you're right. It kind of tried to appeal to the Civilization fans at that time. And I think that's where it's... I agree completely. Yeah, I hate to interrupt you. But, yeah, Moo 2, when it came out, felt like almost like Civ in space. Not quite like Galsiv, but it had a much more Civ feel to it than the original game. Yeah, it was... I mean, clearly it took like some of the fleet mechanics and stuff like that from Muon, and that was cool. But then they started adding these like colony management screens that I just hated. And I mean, and more so in retrospect, too, because I mean, like at the time, I was like, cool, this is fun. I can throw a factory on this planet. But then when you get to like those huge maps and you're three quarters of the way through conquering the whole thing, you're going through and you're like adding to that city queue or the planet queue every turn. And that just sucked. So for me, yes, Master of Ryan won. And then as, as, as a result of that, I've been more excited about games that streamline uh, colony management. So 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you. Master Ryan One's a better game, but not everybody agrees. So, and I and I, I'm surprised by that to be honest. But another thing that I wanted to know, and I know that I know this question, but people don't probably. But this game's free. Like you can go right now to your itch.io page. I don't know how you pronounce it, itch.io, and you can go straight to that page and download this for free. And then when it eventually comes out, like the whole game is available 1.0 or whatever it is you have you're going to also have that for free. So tell me why. Okay, I will tell you why, but I do want to touch on one thing you said earlier. So when you talked about the difference between Moo 1 and Moo 2, and Moo 2 was all about colony building, I saw a comment a long time ago from someone that hit upon this perfectly. Moo 1 is really, at its core, a fleet management game. You're building ships, and you're moving them around, right? And you're attacking other races. Mu 2 is much like Civ and it's ultimately like a colony building or colony management game. So Mu 1 is very um, outward focused. You're constantly dealing with outside threats. Whereas in Mu 2, it's very inward focused. You're building up your empire, which is a different feel. And I think that's why the games feel so differently when you play them is because there's this basic mechanic to the game or design to the game that changed and i don't i'm not sure if the developers realized they were doing that at the time but i think that's the reason why the games feel so different yeah well so and then the other thing too is that i mean maybe it's just for space games because i feel like for like a threshold game threshold 4x games i actually enjoy more of the minute the empire management aspect so uh let's think i mean civilization games clearly, or even like the most recent or more recent Endless Legend, I actually really enjoy colony management more than I do the aspect of war. But for space, and particularly Master Ryan over Master Ryan 2, I do enjoy managing my fleets. I do enjoy like the, I don't know, I, I almost like put myself in the Emperor's shoes in my mind, and I'm like, yeah, okay, all right, Alcari, you're you're going down. And then, you know, I'll, I'll pull up the diplomacy screen and I'll threaten them or tell them we're going to war. And then I'm really excited because I've used all my industry to pump out like 400 small ships and, you know, they all have like the best lasers ever and they're going over to the Alcaris and taking them out. I, that, there's something about that that was way more satisfying in Master Ryan 1 than it ever was in 2. And I think that's because I, I did get bogged down too much and, you know, what am I going to build here on, on Terra 1, you know, and I, it, right. just, it gets tiring. And especially when you have to do that every turn and then you're also doing some of that fleet management stuff. It just felt like there was too much, too much. Right. And one thing we did in uh, Remnants is that we wanted to make, we wanted players to be able to play on really large maps. And me as a developer, from a programming perspective, I wanted to solve the problem of being able to run a game with like a million stars and not crash, right? Even though nobody would ever play that game. So the problem we had to solve is how do you make it so that you can manage fleets over a large empire? And so in the original Master of Orion game, there was like a fleet UI or interface or whatever you want to call it. And it was kind of useless. It, it, you didn't really need it, and most people didn't mess with it. And so we kind of repurposed that fleet screen, and we um, we kind of researched other 4X games. How do they handle fleet management for large fleets? And we found a, this little thing that Gal Siv is doing, and so we tried to kind of model this um i don't know like a query interface that um gal civ does for like where you can you know programmatically pick large numbers of fleets or whatever but we did kind of did it where there's a like a filter system so we even tried to modify and enhance the the ui so that 
it's easier to manage large fleets when you get to that late stage of the game, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, that does make sense to me. I just, for me, I mean, I'd never, ever play. I, I'm a, I'm a small map person. I always me too. Liked, yeah. I've always liked small maps and it's because I don't like getting bogged down in some of the details. And to me, that's like part of the genius of the original game, because the way the original game was, is you could get into this situation where you've effectively won the game and you just have to go and conquer every planet. But the game created this alternate ending called the Galactic Council, where like once you had two thirds of the systems or whatever, or you had the votes, you could end the game right there, right, by becoming nominated the Galactic Leader. And really the whole point of that was just to let players avoid that end of the game slog where you're trying to conquer all the planets, right? But somehow that got turned into the idea of we need to have like multiple different ways to win the game. So instead of seeing the Galactic Council victory as like a shortcut just to avoid this military slog at the end, it just became like an alternate ending. And so now we have these games. And I think like the new Master of Orion from Wargaming is an example. They have like five or six different ways to win the game, right? And so you can get into these internally focused things like technology victories and stuff where you're not even fighting anybody to win the game. And I think that waters down the original concept of the game. Yeah. Civilization definitely proliferated that because it, 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 I mean, I created, I think maybe civilization four, maybe even three hell, it might've been two. I don't know. But one of those games, one of those civilization games, they started to do like the science victories and the domination victories and all those other victories. And then, yeah, they, they became almost standard for Forex games. And then, of course, it's like today nowadays, if you don't have like 15 victory conditions, you're doing something wrong. And that's that does feel too much. Right. I agree. So um, now that we got off on that diversion, I want to go back <laughs> to your – but I appreciate you letting me do that because I think that's a, there's a whole interesting line of discussion there. Uh, so your question was, is why free, correct? Yes, and for those that don't know, because I know, and I I think it's a fun little story. Oh, okay. I hope I remember this story. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you should tell the answer. <laughs> no, no, I just, you know, I, I understand that you have a deep love for Master Ryan 1, and you weren't seeing it being reproduced in the way you wanted it to see. That's exactly right. Okay, good. That's the story, because that is, that's, what I, that's how I remember it. It's been a while since we've talked. <laughs> so basically, like, you know... It goes back to this whole Mu 1 versus Mu 2. And a lot of people who love Mu 2 don't play Mu 1 because the graphics between 1993 and 1996 are greatly different. And they just look really, you know, old. You know, people will say, oh, it looks like it's from the 1980s. I mean, it's just old style graphics. And some people find a charm in that. And some people, it makes the game unplayable. Can I interject too? Because I think sure. the, the the best part about Master Ryan One and the part that I still think aged well is the diplomacy screens where you know you're interacting with the other aliens because that hand drawn style I think and this is something I've said too many times lately where I feel like hand drawn maybe like the comic book style or just even hand drawn style of art ages really well so like if you look back on screens of Master Ryan One you look on those like diplomatic interactions and I still think. I would play that game, but then you go to the, <laughs> the, strategic, the strategic screen and you go to the like combat screens and that's where things start to screw up. Well, and I think a lot of that is 2d artwork versus 3d artwork. And I'm a big fan of the 2d artwork. I think I agree with you. If what you're saying is that like the newer 3d artwork doesn't age well. Right. In addition, it's, it's much more expensive and time consuming. I mean, uh, um, I've heard the saying, like, you know, 3D artwork is where uh, 
deadlines go to die, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> right? So, you can imagine these big studios and they make a game and you, you're making like a Master of Orion, for example, and you got 10 races and you have to make, you know, 3D animations for like all these different, for 10 different races. And it takes a lot of time. So, they end up having, you know, to cut a lot of corners just so they can make a deadline, right? And it's really, or if you don't cut corners, you have to hire a lot of people and it's really expensive. So, I don't know. I think there's a lot of charm in 2D artwork. I do think that the resolution of the original game can be improved quite a bit, and that's what we've tried to do. But I would never – I don't want to do anything 3D, not just from a budget perspective, but from an aesthetic perspective as well. I'm happy to hear that. So then tell me, is it – I mean, so you're in a position because you clearly have done well for yourself, and that's great. I'm not going to get too much into that, but you were basically looking at Master of Ryan 1 as a game that hadn't been reproduced, hadn't been even really attempted again, and you were like, no, if no one's going to do this, I'm going to do it. And you started with just making it in Java, but then at one point, at some point, you decided this is going to become a little bit bigger than that. So can you tell me more about that? Like, at what point did you figure, like, all right, this is something that I really want to invest in, and I actually want to make it, like, as best as possible can? Well, so kind of how it starts out is, you know, like, everybody has... um hopefully they have something that they're really good at, that they're passionate about, right? That they just love doing, right? And if you're really lucky, if, you know, if you're blessed, so to speak, whatever it is that you love to do is actually an employable skill and pays well, right? <laughs> so that's the, the really fortunate situation. And that's why I'm that, so that I felt. Maybe so, right? And I think I think it's I think it's luck of the dice. Sometimes it's just the thing I love to do, and I don't understand why, but I love to write code. I love to program it. It's just something that really scratches an itch for me, and it still does to this day. And it, it just so happens that that can be a lucrative profession if you're good at it. And if you're doing something you love to do, you tend to become really good at it. And I was I was really good at what I did professionally, and you know. I was able to, uh, um, you know, do this work um, out of my own pocket without having to sell the game. And not only that, um, I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed coming home after a day of writing code at work, so to speak. I enjoyed coming home and writing more code for this game. So it, it's very much a labor of love to some degree, right? To a large degree. And since I can afford to do it, um, I, I, I want... I want to introduce Master of Orion 1 with modernized artwork to an audience that hasn't seen it. I think um, I think from a game design perspective, this is going to sound really over the top, but from a game design perspective, I think Master of Orion 1 is about as close to a work of art in the fork genre that we've got. And so I would like for the actual artwork in the game to uh, measure up to the game design as well, if that makes any sense. So that's why I'm I'm doing it for free because I want I don't want there to be a barrier for people to play it, you know. And the reason I'm paying for their artwork is because I think the game deserves that. Well, and to some degree, well, to a huge degree, really, too. Wargaming wouldn't let you just sell a game with all of its races in it, right? Um, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, I'm I can tell you right now that when the game is done, I will not be uh infringing on any of uh, wargaming's copyrights so <laughs> I, I could if i could if i was willing to lawyer up i could probably sell the game if i wanted to but i don't want to do that right so that kind of defeats the whole purpose i don't want to create like an adversarial relationship with the copyright owners of the master of orion right i have you know what's what's the point of that 
Well, and from reports through the rumor mill, it sounds like Wargaming is giving up that trademark or that copyright. So, Well, they're not going to give it up. They're just not going to exercise it. And that's actually what started the whole thing because a lot of people don't realize uh, Well, when Master Variety 3 came out, it was so bad and so poorly recepted that Atari abandoned the title. And that was the original impetus for me around 2003, 2004 uh, to create Java Moo. And I picked Java because from a professional standpoint, I needed to learn Java. And I'm like, oh, this will be a great way for me to learn Java. So I worked on that you know, off and on for a couple of years. And uh, um, it was ugly as hell. I mean, it just looked terrible. I mean, I was learning Java and... Um, and so I finally looked at it and said, you know, this isn't really going anywhere, but I learned Java and I'm doing this now professionally. So it worked out great. <laughs> but, but then around 2013, you know, I still had that itch. I was like, I wanted to do it again. So I started, started up the project and literally like four months after I restarted the project, Wargaming announced that they were going to release, um, you know, Conquer the Stars, Master Friend Conquer the Stars. And um, one of the people... Uh, this is really funny because about a month before they announced it, I had sent out an email for Java Move to people who wanted to do the first alpha test. And one of the guys who emailed me emailed me too late to get a copy of it. But it turns out he was a Wargaming employee, and I'm assuming they wanted to see where the project was at. I didn't know that at the time, but after uh, Wargaming announced the game and I saw names associated with the project, I'm like, oh, he wanted to... He wanted to alpha test my game. <laughs> so uh, um, I made a note that like before the next alpha test, I wanted to reach out to Wargaming because I was pretty sure they had copyright concerns. And I wanted to let them know that I have no intention on, on making money on this game and I will respect your copyright. And, you know, what what concessions do I need to make so that, this project can continue to exist without like, you know, legal interference from Wargaming. And they basically said, just change the name of it. Don't call it Java Boo. Cause you know, Java Moo is Java master for Ryan. And so, so what's really funny is I know I'm rambling and I apologize, but what's really funny is like, um, uh, we're driving back from the airport. You know, we had visited some relatives in Nebraska uh, and uh, um, I'm like mulling over what the name, the name, the name, you know, and I finally just came up with remnants of the precursors and, um, I don't know, it stuck with me and I ran it by the writer and I convinced him what my thought process was on it. And he really liked it. And so it became remnants of the precursors overnight. I just changed the name. And of course, some people didn't like it because, you know, people hate change. And then wouldn't you know, like three years later, the people who are doing, um, was it Star Control or whatever? I don't remember the name. I think it was Star Control. They're doing a remake of it and they wanted to call it Ghosts of the Precursors. (laughs) So I'm like, no! You can't do that. That's my name. Yeah. So the original creators of Star Control, um, the Toys for Bob guys, yeah, they they were doing their own side thing that was like clearly a, a, a sequel or in some ways a sequel to the Star Control games. Yeah, that came out and said that their game was going to be goes. I yeah, and I remember you contacting me and be like, "You've got to be kidding me! This is not fair." <laughs> I know. I was like, "This," and of course, they're businessmen, so they they immediately went out and copyrighted the name, and I never did that because, I mean, you don't actually have to copyright your name once you start using it; it's kind of yours. But uh, um, still, it was just, it was just, it was funny to me. 
Yeah, and I love that you also at the same time decided to name yourself Pretend Studios, and you were <laughs> you were surprised to find out that no one actually had taken that yet. That's I like the name. Yeah, you know, I kind of regretted that choice because that was that was a, a little bit of a dig at a lot of uh, people who were, you know, um, independent developers. They were just one man operations or maybe two man operations, and they called themselves a studio. Right. And I just always thought that was so funny. Right. Because I worked in a software shop. Right. And I would never call myself a studio. So I decided to come up with this name, Pretend Studios. <laughs> and it was tongue in cheek. And then I kind of felt bad about it later on. So I eventually just kind of let that lapse and die. Oh, well, I thought it was funny. It was, it, I, don't, I don't think it was meant maliciously. It was meant it was, to be funny, but I yeah. thought it was maybe a little mean spirited. So I decided to let it go. I can understand. So you came back, you just made a pretty big statement. And I want to go back to it and said that. Massive Ryan One is uh, near perfect when it comes to forex games, and I'd I'd say or that it was a you know a, a close to as perfect as we've gotten. So tell me then, are you sticking to the formula? Are you going straight Massive Ryan One and not changing anything, or are you going to change something just because you want to tweak something to make it better? Or is there anything that you would change about Massive Ryan One if you had unlimited time? Okay, well, first of all, I want to say that. The, the famous saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? So uh, um, if I think that the Master of Orion 1 design is a near-perfect design, and I don't honestly think that the original designers, I think some of this is lightning in a bottle, right? They, you know, they were dealing with memory limitations and time limitations, and they delivered this thing that just worked really well together. And when they were given more time and money, they ended up with Master of Orion 2, which had some good elements, but then had some bad elements. So I don't, you know, I don't think this was uh, a work of genius as much as maybe serendipity, you know. But uh, um, so no, I'm not going to try to change the design. I'm not doing a clone because when you say you're doing a clone, you know, every little change you make is going to be, you know, inspected or, you know, look, and, you know, people are going to knit and pick about, you know, what changes are acceptable. So what I call it, I call it like a feature clone where I'm, I want to have all the master of Orion one features, but I want to be allowed to make some changes. These may be like, first of all, improving the artwork, obviously, right? So we have nice artwork so that it's better for a modern audience. This may be uh, improving the interface so that the keyboard shortcuts are different or more intuitive. And there's mouse wheel support and things that feel like they're common sense, right? I mean, like if I were just to say you're modernizing it, that's a a way to kind of truncate those kind of additions, right? right? I agree with that, yeah. Um, Another thing, too, is like there were clearly bugs, and exploits an original Master of Orion game that, you know, either the designers didn't intend or maybe they gave the player some advantage that everyone played the game using this exploit because it was so advantageous, right? So I have to make a decision like, is this an exploit or is this an intended feature? And so I do make some changes uh, regarding that. Like, for example, the way um, uh, research interest is, is calculated on the technology tree has been changed. I feel like it still meets the intent of the feature, but there's no uh, mathematical loophole where you can, if you understand the math, you can exploit it and, and get huge gains out of it, right? Because what happens is, is if if there's an exploit that gives the player an advantage, so the question is, is do you let the AI do it, right? 
Because if you want to improve the AI and make the AI smarter so that it presents more challenge to the players, does the AI take advantage of those exploits too? And if it does, now the players have to do it in order to keep up with the AI. And I don't think you, I don't think you want to go there, right? I think it's better just to fix the exploit so that uh, um, players don't have to worry about it. And you know, it, I don't know. It, it makes the game feel cleaner. I think. Yeah, I, I would agree too. I, I, I personally don't like games, and Galactic Civilizations Three is very, very much guilty of this, where there are significant flaws within the system and the, to the point where there are exploits that you have to use in order to, in, in order to keep up with the AI. Because, I mean, to his credit, Brad Wardell has, he's created an AI that plays the game well, but they they use these exploits themselves. And so if you don't yourself use them, like in, in one particular where you have, you can stack scouting ability. So like if you have a particular item or component on your ship that can see you know however many squares or how many hexes away if you keep adding more and more it can eventually see like the entire damn map and the ai was doing that and so you had to do it and of course now it's been fixed and the game feels much better for it but yeah i don't like it when i feel like i have to do something like that or even more more importantly worse for me is that i don't know about it and i'm like oh shit why are they doing so well exactly right you have to become an expert at the game of the intricacies of the game just to keep up right yeah and then of course thankfully nowadays the that kind of stuff is you know it's found quickly i can go to any forum or you know in this case i could have gone to starux forum and seen it that you know oh yeah this is the only way to win but back in the day if if master ryan one had something and I know there were, but I mean, in retrospect, I don't think I was old enough to understand what they were. <laughs> I mean, when Master Ryan 1 came out, I think I was like nine years old, but I still played the crap out of it. I, I just don't remember any of the exploits. So I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to hear that because I think you're right. It's more natural. It feels better. It's a better gaming experience. Right. So the idea is like um, another thing, too, for example, is like when you trade technology or you trade, um, you know, just you set up an economic trade treaty with a race, you know, it's the idea you get this dialogue and you're given options like, Oh, I want to trade for this technology. And then he tells you like, you know, hopefully he'll tell you like, well, I'll take one of these three things and you're limited by the race, right? There's some limits in there. Whereas like in modern games now, they create these basically like this trade table where you can just, uh, I'm going to put these three things on my side and I'm going to put these things, in, and then I'm going to tweak it until I get exactly as much as possible as I can get out of you, and you'll accept it, right? And you, you create this whole bartering trade table, and that's not, you know, I don't think that's really conducive because now you've got people who are like, you know, you know, metagaming the trade system, right? And uh, I don't think that's, I mean, maybe I'm sure some people enjoy it, but I'm I'm not really a fan of it, and it wasn't massive or one, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like you're you're given like a, a balance, right? <laughs> you're just trying to see how much stuff you can put on your plate to see what will end up balancing out with their plate. And then you're like, Oh, cool. I, I can give you these three texts and uh, you know, some cash and you'll give me a colony, you know, and that's never fun. Right. So like, for example, let me give you another idea of like what I would consider an exploit fix, you know, like in the original game, you could um, learn a tech, or maybe trade for a tech and then immediately trade that technology out to like five different races and they each get one technology, but you end up getting like five different technologies, right? So that's one way to stay ahead. So to prevent that kind of abuse, one thing we did is I, we, I, um, is when you trade a technology, when you trade for a technology, 
you don't get it until the end of your turn, right? You can't immediately turn right around and trade with other people. You have to wait till the next turn. And that gives the AI an opportunity if they want to trade, right, they can do it then. So it kind of keep it kind of serves as like a governor or a regulator against that kind of abuse. So little things like that where we I feel like we're still maintaining the spirit of the original game, like the ability to trade technologies with other races, but kind of closing some of these loopholes where players would then take that and exploit it, right? Yeah, and that's why I always played the Cylons. I don't know if the Cylons were like this in Master of Run 1 because I'm having a hard time remembering, but I, I, I mean, they they were always able to choose all three of the technologies that were presented to them, so I always I always chose them because then you could turn, turn around and, and actually trade those away. So That was Mu 2, actually. Um, they See, were a creative yeah. race, yeah. In Mu 1, I think they had access to 75% of the tech tree instead of 50% or something like that. They had access to more technologies and they learned them faster, but you know, there was no pick one or another tech. You could still learn everything if you had access to it. All right. So clearly my memory of master Ryan one is a little fuzzy and welcome to old age. (laughs) It's true. I am getting older by the day. But in order to maybe help facilitate my memory and make it better, when do you think I can play Remnants of the Precursors next? Okay, so as you know, there is an alpha. It's an incomplete alpha that's out there. And I think this is the first alpha. when I, I, I was put out there a couple years ago, actually. That's how long it's been now. But this was the first alpha where I had people emailing me. I mean, I've received enthusiastic emails from people saying how much they love it and they're getting that one more turn experience and they feel like the game is already a lot of fun. And I'm thinking the game's not finished. So um, what's missing from that alpha, the current alpha that you can, I think if you go to the subreddit, the ROTP subreddit, right? I think that I have a pinned um, link to download the alpha. If anybody's interested, you need to have a Java installed on your computer, but hopefully there's, there's instructions for that. But anyway, what's missing from that version, from what's going to be in the final version, is there's only eight races, so the humans and the Klykons need to be added. Um, tactical combat, where player, the player can control his ships rather than letting the AI do it for ship combat, is not in that version. Um, the random events are not in that version. And there's some diplomatic options, a few diplomatic options that aren't still aren't in the game, like you know, convince somebody to break a treaty or convince somebody to declare war. I think those are the two main ones. And maybe just threaten somebody um, are not in the game. And then there's some other kind of administrative non-game planes that aren't in the game. Like I want to have like a game over screen, an animation screen where when you win or lose, there's some sort of, you know, animated ending that reflects that, right? That tells you, hey, you sucked or hey, great job. You know, you came back from way behind and somehow became the leader of the galaxy, whatever. So what's been done since then is the human artwork has been done and it's been integrated into the game. Um, the clack on artwork is almost done. I've sent you some examples of that artwork via email. And once I get that, once I get that finished artwork, it'll be pretty trivial to integrate the clack into the game. It's just integrating the artwork. I don't have to write any code for the features or anything. Um, uh, player controlled ship combat is working in the game. Um, all of the random events, I think, except for the space amoeba and the um, what's the other one? The space amoeba and the um, crystalline entity are in the game. Uh, the Orion homeworld is not in the game yet. 
Um, and that's very similar to the other two in that there's a, uh, a third or race ship that you have to fight the guardian ship. And that's why it hasn't been done. Those three all get done at the same time. Uh, once I figure out the best way to code that in the game, um, then there's some UI rework that I'm going to want to do, like screen redesigns of things that haven't been done yet. The races screen and the ship screen, I think, are mainly it. Um, okay, those so aren't done ask, yet. I'll ask because I, 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 I'm very. I know impatient. I'm rambling. I'm sorry. No, I'm impatient. So I want to know what the chances are of maybe pushing a build that doesn't have all of that, but has some tactical combat and the new ship designs and stuff like that to tide us over. Cause I love that. And, and, and that's a fair question. There's, there's overhead. Anytime I do an alpha, there's a lot of overhead on my part in dealing with like uh, bug reports and things like that. And it's a lot of work. And so I decided since the last one was playable, like, okay, the next time I do it, it's going to be the beta. It's going to be feature complete, but because the schedule has dragged on because of really reasons unrelated to, well, not related to me, but, um, I've decided, like, I think I am going to do one more alpha. So once the um, I receive the clock on artwork completed and I get those integrated into the game, I'll probably put some polishing touches on the ship combat. Uh, there's a couple loose ends, very minor I need to do, and probably release uh, another alpha that'll just be missing, like, a couple of random events and some other things. Um so I don't know what the timeline is on that. It depends on the artwork, and but it's it should be sooner rather than later. Uh, I <laughs> I mean, what I really want to do, what I really want to do is I want to get all the features done, and I want to release the beta. And when I release the beta, I'm going to open source the code, and that's always been the plan is to open source this project because I want people to be able to say, you know what, I wish it had this feature, and they can clone the repo and the repository and make their changes. You know. If, and and play the play the exact version of the game they want using the base game that I've released as a starting point, right? So if somebody really wants to do custom races, then you know if they know Java, they can actually take that and and run with it and add their own features. I don't have a problem with that. So, but I but I can't open source the game until I'm sure that there's no copyright violating artwork in the game, and there are still some placeholder art assets in the game that's you know, that's preventing me from going to beta. And, uh, but that doesn't mean I'll still release an alpha. I think I'm probably going to release another alpha once the clock artwork is done and then you'll get to play it. Music to my ears. Seriously. It's been too long. (laughs) It has been a long time. I'm, I'm waiting too. Right. Well, at least you get to play it. I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, that's, that's great to hear. Cause I honestly, I'd, I'd always thought about that. And, and I, I honestly, I personally never thought about the fact that there is an investment on your part too, where, you know, yeah, of course you, you push this out, but then you have to be inundated with all these beta reports, or I'm sorry, uh, bug reports and stuff like that. And you're just one person. And of course you have your own life and you're trying to enjoy retirement and, you know, additions and everything. So I know that, you know, I personally, I understand now. I didn't understand before, and I was mad at you. No, I'm kidding. I wasn't mad at you, but I was. But now you got your. Now you have your own baby. I'll let everybody know. I have like a two and a half month old baby, right? So, uh, um, you know, there's other things going on in my life. I, I wish I could devote um, a lot of time to developing the game, but honestly, right now that would. There's no point in that because there's so little programming work left to do. It's mostly waiting on artwork and other assets. That why should I, you know race up to a finish line and then wait three months right <laughs> so i'm going to try to do it once i get all the artwork in then i'm going to go 
finish up the code and then and, and come come up with an alpha. And I, I hope everybody understands the game is absolutely not abandoned. And I know that that's always a big fear with these projects. And I do want to touch on that real quick, if you don't mind. Absolutely. I totally understand that with independent um, games like this, you know, where it's one or two guys that you know, you come in and you have a lot of passion and you do a lot of work and then the passion fades and then people kind of ghost, right? And honestly, I'm human and I know that that was always a possibility for me. And that's one another reason why I didn't want to charge money for a game because I think the worst thing you can do is make promises to people, then take their money and then say, oh, sorry, guys, we couldn't finish it. That's like the worst thing to do. So at least, you know, I haven't taken anybody's money. In fact, I've I've probably spent. I mean, just to give people an idea, I mean, I've invested about thirty thousand dollars of my real money into the various artwork and, and developing developing this game. So I've got a commitment to it, and I want to finish it. But uh, you know, there's like a life work balance, I guess you could say. And while I'm waiting on other people's artwork, I've decided to, you know, kind of chill and you know raise my kid and you know, do other stuff while I'm waiting on the artwork. But uh, um, I, I do want to emphasize everybody, the, the project's not dead. It's going to finish. Whether it's going to be great or whether it's going to suck, that's not my call to make. But it's going to be finished, and it's going to be open source, and then people can, you know, if, they, if I wrote crappy code or something that doesn't work well, then, then they can go in and tweak it. And I'm really hoping that uh, people will do a lot of work with the AI because AI is very complicated, and that's almost better at done as a group effort than as one person right yeah well so i promise you that i won't inundate you with any bug reports whatsoever if you just want to send over anything that you got just saying dude dude yeah uh, <laughs> no problem <laughs> and actually I, I i have a lot of respect for what you do i know this sounds really weird coming on a podcast so i would love to get you a game that you could play because i know how much you love master of Iron one and as long as you know, I'm not drooling when I write code. I think you're probably going to love Remnants of Precursors. And in fact, I'm going to tell you right now, anyone who likes Master of Orion 1 and they play Remnants of Precursors and they don't, and they would rather continue playing Master of Orion 1 over Remnants of Precursors, then I've done something wrong, right? Because it's supposed to be the same game, but just with an improved <laughs> interface and graphics. And if, I, if I've broken something else, then I need to know what that is so I can fix that. Yeah, no, there's absolutely... I just I can't imagine anyone would want to go back to the original after playing yours. I mean, Peter's artwork is fantastic. It's bloody amazing. And yeah, I mean, the small fixes, the small little adjustments you've made are clearly uh, very appreciated. For me, at least. I mean, I, I you know, the, even just the mouse scroll thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, great, I can do this now. So yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, it's funny because a lot of people are like, oh, this is so tedious for me to click on this arrow. You know, it's, it's really hard. And I'm like... Everywhere you, anywhere that you have to repeatedly click on something in the game, the mouse wheel will work. You can mouse wheel it up and down, and it'll it'll take care of it. Love it, yeah. So there's one more question that I had asked that I just, you know, I it was something that I ran past you before we did this podcast, and you said it was a good question, so I'm going to ask it because I want to know, and that is to know whether or not what it is about this project that may have been the hardest for you because it's been a long project. I know that you said 2013 is when you started it again, and in, in real earnest. And, you know, we're now almost at 2020, which is absurd. And yeah, crazy, right? Yeah. And I'm just curious to know, because you did say that you enjoyed it. You've enjoyed 
you know, programming for as long as you've been programming, but was there anything about this, this whole thing that we were just like, oh man, this sucks and I'm not sure I want to finish it? Okay, well, you know, this is probably going to be a little bit of a downer because you're asking, like, what's the hardest part? And the let's hardest... Go, let's go out on a downer. <laughs> yeah, I apologize, guys, but this this is something I've learned firsthand, and I'm sure that any other indie developer who's making a game should probably totally relate to this, right? And you have to understand, like, the worst part about developing an indie game is realizing that no one else is as passionate about your project as you are. Because if they were as passionate about it, they would be doing the development, right? So you start this project with all this passion, and you love it, and this is great. And you have other people who are also passionate about the game, and they love your project, and they want to join. Hey, I want to help you. I want to, I'll work for you for free, whatever. And this is what happened in the first iteration of Java Moo back in 2003, 2004, right? Where people would like join in and they would do stuff and they would contribute. And I'm going, oh my God, this is great. This is like a group effort, right? But what happens is, is they're not as passionate as you. Because if they were, they would have started the project themselves. So what happens is, is they get to a point where they're, the well runs dry for them. And so they've made these promises like, oh, I'm going to do this artwork or I want to do this for you or whatever. And what happens is, is they feel bad because they've made this kind of verbal commitment to you to do something. And then they realize real life, maybe their interest is waning and so they're not going to be able to do it. So instead of telling you that, hey, man, I'm not going to, I can't finish this, real stuff has come up in life, what they do is they ghost you. Because that's the easiest thing to do is to ghost somebody and just stop talking to them, right? Because it's hard to say, hey, man, I, I'm sorry. I, I made, I said I was going to do these things and now I'm letting you down. It feels bad to do that, right? So when I restarted this project in 2013, and uh, um, I specifically, I had people wanting to volunteer to help. People were very enthusiastic about it. And I said, no, I said, no one is going to work for me for free. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to, if I need work, like if I need artwork, or if I need writing, I'm going to go find someone who does that professionally and I'm going to go pay them for it because I want it to feel like a job. So even if they're passionate about it, like for example, the writer really loves us and he's passionate about it. So even if their interest is waning because they're not as passionate about the project as I am, at least there's still a financial incentive for them to keep. And I think that's a big reason why, you know, for example, Peter has been working on this project for years, right? He, he's, I, I've basically been employing him for like, I don't know, three, four years of work. And, but of course, he loves the project too. But um, that's the hardest part is realizing that at the end of the day, everyone's going to fall away except you. And so eventually it's all on your back to carry it across the finish line. And that's kind of a hard thing to do sometimes. And it's kind of hard to, realize that a lot of these people that are helping you may just disappear one day it's it's really weird and depressing and so uh, um yeah that's the downer i'm gonna end this note <laughs> sorry about that guys everybody's gonna leave you don't cry man don't cry okay it was all a okay. dream i'm gonna click my heels three times and wake up i don't know but anyway so but peter's super great i love peter and he's actually very enthusiastic about enthusiastic about it and uh, um so I, I don't have that worry with Peter at all. You know, how did you, but, how did you find him? I mean, that's another question I have for you. How did you find Peter? Did you find him on the internet? Did you find some of his work or what? This is a great story. And I'm so glad you asked, right? 
here's the story. So without divulging too much into Peter's life, but it's such a great story. I don't think he would mind me sharing this. What happened was this Peter was an architect. He lives in Bulgaria and he's a professional architect. And he fell in love with this girl who had, I, I don't know the details about it, but she'd been in like involved in an accident. And uh, um, so he quit his job, his professional job, so that he could stay home and take care of this woman that he'd fallen in love with. Right. And he said, I'm just going to work as a freelance artist. I'm going to go, you know, onto uh, uh, these websites and put out my resume and see if I can get hired. And literally within, in less than a week from the time he did that, I was, I had just started looking for an artist and I came across his resume and I loved his artwork. And uh, um, I'm like, it was great. It was a perfect fit. I love his artwork style and he loves the game. And it's just, he, he took this huge leap of faith to quit his job, to take care of somebody else. And then within a week, he had this long-term revenue stream for my game. And I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if you call that karma or whatever, but it just, it's such a feel good story. And uh, I just, I'm so happy that, that um, I'm able to help him. You know, I, I, I should say I'm able to employ him. I'm not help. He's not doing charity for me. I'm not doing charity for him, right? But uh, uh, I, I'm just so glad that there was this this weird timing that worked out perfectly for him and for me. And uh, um, that's an up note, right? We yeah. can leave on an up note. Yeah, exactly. Well, then there's no way you could have known that, right? So like you find no, portfolio. It's crazy. You're like, yeah, you're like, holy shit, this this artwork's great. It fits my theme well. I really want to employ this person. And then you employ him and then you find out. So it's like, there's yeah, no way. Yeah, I found out months, months later, right? I found right. that out, yeah. So it's not charity work. You were just employing somebody who ended up being a really good person who was doing something that few people would ever do. And you were, you're basically helping him do that. And that's pretty awesome. But I just like the fact that he took this big personal risk for somebody else. And then that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just crazy. And so I love that story. And uh, I just feel like he was meant to be part of this project. I don't know how else to put it. I know. I feel like I should employ him too. Cause his, his artwork's so great. And I, you know, I don't know if you are familiar with the series, the way of Kings, it's a book series. I am not, but go ahead. It's a fantastic series. If you do like fantasy at all, I'm not a huge fantasy fan, but this fantasy series is fantastic. It's written by Brandon Sanderson. And anyways, the the lore behind it and the world that's like, you know, created within these these books are it's amazing. It's fantastic. And I'm just happened to be on the subreddit for this book series and someone posts a picture of one of the character like groups in this this book series and I'm like, "Wow." This is amazing artwork. It definitely is. That's the, that's how I pictured these people in my head. And I shit you not, it ended up being Peter's artwork. Yeah, he does some work on the side, right? He likes to, he wants to have like a diverse portfolio, not just working on the game. So he does do some work, other work too. So yeah, he's great. He's super talented. And I feel really fortunate that he's on this project. And I, I'm going to ride that horse all the way to the finish line as long <laughs> as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely for sure. Well, I, you know, Ray, this has been really good. I've really enjoyed catching up with you. For those that don't know, Ray and I used to actually uh, sort of guests, co-host the Forex Gaming subreddit's old podcast as well, and we'd steal Ray and he'd you know discuss some of the more like I don't know macro topics of Forex yeah. in general. But I wasn't really qualified for that podcast because the only Forex games I ever played were like 
Civ and Moo and maybe one of Gal Civ and that's it. And these guys were like experts on all these different games, and I just <laughs> felt so out of place there. I'm like, oh, why do you want me on here? I don't know. Well, you you always had good input, regardless of whether or not you had you know a, a you know a encyclopedia knowledge of the games we were talking about. You still had good input, and I've always enjoyed talking to you. So I I, I hope that we can do this again. I hope that maybe in a few months when you're closer to whatever it is you're going to do next, uh, hopefully an alpha, maybe a beta, but whatever it is that comes next, we can talk and, I don't know, catch up again. Maybe even not talk about your game. We can talk about some other games. Okay, that sounds great, man. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, I appreciate you reaching out to me, right? Because, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm ghosting people when I don't post every day, every week, you know, but I only, I'm only going to post when there's progress. But like I said, it's it's moving along. It's not it's moving at a slower pace than I'd like, but it's it's still moving. I'll post on your behalf and we'll make this podcast and some artwork and some stuff and people will be like, Oh cool, this thing's still being worked on and you know, they'll have renewed faith in some of the stuff you've said because it's renewed my faith. And I, I sent can't. you some artwork of the Clicon stuff just to let you know that it's being worked, right? And I think you even saw the dates on the emails to give you an idea. It's still it's still coming along. Proof of concept, proof of work being done. So yeah. Anyways, Correct. very excited about your, I, I'm, I'm just very excited about the next alpha really to be, <laughs> to be super honest with you. I really, I'm excited that you're excited, man, because oh. you're a big Moo one fan. I know you're a big Moo one fan. And so uh, um, if you like remnants of the precursors, then you're, you're the target audience actually. So I feel like your target audience. And I do think it was pretty cool earlier that you said that, if someone was more passionate about this project that they would be spending 30 grand on it. And I just realized that that makes you like probably massive Ryan's one's biggest fan in the entire world. So you have, um, that. maybe I might be, I literally might be, I mean, but I, I, I doubt it. There's, there's people who, there's people who played so many hours on this game. And for example, there's this, uh, I'm, I'm we're dragging on forever, but there's this, site called realmsbeyond.com where there's this forum and the master of Orion sub forum is just filled with these experts these guys who have played this game and know the ins and outs and i've gone to them and uh, for advice and experience and like oh this is how do we get around this and i've talked to them so i know that i'm not i know that i'm not the number one fan i'm just yeah but i'm a fan you're a big fan you're definitely up there <laughs> you're top top one percent so <laughs> okay that's fair i accept that <laughs> Anyways, it has been good to talk to you again, and hopefully, again, we can do this again soon. And in the meantime, good luck to you. Good luck with everything. Good luck with the baby. That's huge. Thanks, Double Dog, man. You're a great dude. And congratulations, too. So we will hopefully hear from you soon. And until then, this was Rob and Ray for Explorate. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.